Chapter Six of Fast in the Ice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fast in the Ice by R. M. Ballantine. Chapter Six. Preparations for Wintering. Remarkable Adventures with a Bear. The first care of Captain Harvey, after getting his brig securely laid up in her icy cradle for the winter, was to remove some of the stores to the island, where he had them carefully secured in a little hut, which the crew built of loose stones. This relieved the strain on the vessel and permitted the free circulation of air. The fitting up of the interior of the brig was then begun. The wooden partition between the cabin and the hold was taken down, and the whole space thrown into one apartment. The stove was put up in the center of it, and moss was piled round the walls inside about a foot thick. Moss was also spread on the deck, and above it the snow was allowed to gather, for snow, although so cold itself, keeps things that it covers warm by not permitting the heat to escape. The brig was banked up all round with snow, and a regular snowy staircase was built from the ice to her bulwarks. They changed their time now from what is called sea time to that which we follow on land. That is to say, they reckoned the day to commence just after twelve midnight, instead of dividing it into watches, as they were wont to do at sea. Journals were begun, and careful notes made of everything that occurred, or that might in any way further the object for which they had gone there. Every man in the ship had his appointed duty and his post. If the native Eskimos should arrive in a warlike temper, each man had his cutlass and pistols in readiness. If a bear should pay them a visit, each could lay hands on his musket in an instant. And if a fire should break out on board, every man had his bucket ready and his particular post fixed. Some were to run to the water hole, which it was the duty of one man to keep open. Others were to station themselves from the hole to the ship to pass the buckets, while the rest were to remain on board to convey them to the point of danger. Captain Harvey fixed all the arrangements and superintended the carrying out of his orders in a general way. Making his two officers and the young doctor responsible for the overseeing of details. Each of these foremen furnished him with a report every night of what had been done during the day, and the result was noted down by himself in a journal. Thus everything went smoothly and pleasantly along during the first weeks of their sojourn in their frozen home. In regard to fresh provisions, They were fortunate at first, for they obtained sufficient supplies of deer and other game. This was in the early part of winter, while there was still plenty of daylight. In Tom Gregory's journal, I find it thus written: September tenth, the days are beginning to shorten now, and we are all busily occupied in preparing for the long, dark winter that is before us. Sam Baker, who is the best shot among us, brought in a deer today. This is fortunate, for we stand in need of fresh meat. Our greatest enemy this winter, I fear, will be scurvy. Unless we obtain a large supply of fresh provisions, we cannot hope to escape it. Crofts brought in two Arctic hares. They were beautiful creatures, pure white, and each weighs about seven pounds. 
These, with the four deer shot by myself last week, and the ten hares caught by Baker, will keep us going for some time. September 12th. I had an adventure with a polar bear last night, which has amused the men very much, and given them food for jocularity for a few days. Some days back, Davy Butts set up a trap on the island, in which he has caught a few foxes. Last night, his long legs were so tired that he did not care to visit his trap, so I offered to go instead of him. It was while I was out on this errand that I happened to meet with Bruin. Our meeting was sudden and unexpected on both sides, I believe. It was midnight when I set off to the trap, which was not more than half a mile from the ship, and it was quite dark when I reached it. Davy is an ingenious fellow. His trap is made of four blocks of hard snow, with a sort of wooden trigger that goes off the moment the bait is touched, and allows a heavy log to fall down on the poor fox's back. There was no fox there, however, when I reached it. I went down on my knees and was examining the bait when I heard a low growl. I leaped up and felt for the knife which I usually carried in my belt. It was not there. In the haste of my departure from the ship, I had forgotten to buckle it on. I had no gun, of course, it was too dark to shoot, and I had not counted on meeting with any dangerous enemy. I could only crouch down behind a lump of ice and hope that the bear would go away. But another growl, much louder than the first and close at hand, showed that I had been seen. It was so dark that I could hardly see fifty yards ahead. There was a great chasm or hole just in front of me. This was the place where the main body of the sea ice had been separated from the shore ice that was aground. Here every rise and fall of the tide had broken it afresh, so that the rent was twenty yards wide and full of large blocks that had been tossed about in confusion. Across this I gazed into the gloom and thought I saw an object that looked like a large block of rounded ice. Before I could make up my mind how to act, the block of ice rose up with a furious roar and charged me. The chasm checked him for a moment, but for this I should have been caught immediately. While he was scrambling over it, I took to my heels and ran along the edge of the ice at the top of my speed. There was a narrow part of the chasm which I looked at in daylight and wondered whether I might venture to leap across it. I had made up my mind that it was too wide and dangerous to be attempted. But it is wonderful how quickly a man changes his mind on such a point when a polar bear is roaring at his heels. I came to the gap in the ice. It was ten feet deep and thirteen or fourteen feet across. The jagged lumps of ice at the bottom lay there in horrible confusion. There was barely light enough to see where the hole was when I came within ten yards of it. But I did not hesitate. A rush, a bound, and I went over like a cat. Not so the bear. He had not measured the place with his eye in daylight as I had done. He made a gallant leap, it is true, but fell short, as I knew from the bursting sound and the growl of rage with which he came against the edge of the ice, and fell back among the broken blocks. I did not wait to see how he got out, you may be sure. But ran as I never ran before in all my life. I reached the brig quite out of breath. The bear had not followed me up, for I did not see him that night again. Long Davy laughed at me a good deal and said he was sure I had been frightened at a shadow. 
It gave a wonderfully loud roar for a shadow. I hope that Davy himself may get a chase before the winter is over, just to convince him of his error in not believing me. The kind wish thus expressed in the young doctor's journal was gratified sooner than might have been expected. Only two days after the incident above described, poor Davy Butts met with the same bear face to face and had a run for his life that turned the laugh from Tom Gregory to himself. It was on the afternoon of a clean, cold day, just about sunset. The men had finished dinner and were smoking their pipes on deck, stamping their feet and slapping their hands and arms to keep them warm. Hello, Davy. Where are you bound for? inquired the captain, on observing that Butts was wrapping himself carefully in his fur coat, tightening his belt, and putting on his mittens as if bent on a long journey. I'm only going to take a look at my fox trap, sir, if you'll allow me. Certainly, my lad, if you get a fox, it's well worth the trouble. And hark ye, Davy, take your axe and make one or two more of these snow traps of yours. It will be a well spent hour. Why, Butts, exclaimed Gregory, what do you mean to do with that big horse pistol? Surely you are not afraid of bears after laughing so much at the one that chased me. Oh, no, not afraid, you know. replied Davy, but there's no harm in being armed. Mind you shoot him straight in the eye or send a bullet up his nose. Them's the vulnerable parts of him, cried Joe Davis with a laugh as Butts went down the snow steps and got upon the ice. I say, cried Pepper as he was moving away. Well, bring his tongue aboard with you and I'll cook it for supper. Ah, and a bit of fat to fry it in. Added the steward, there's nothing like tongue fried in bear's grease. No, no, Dawkins, said Mr. Dicey. Hello, Davy, bring the ams. Bear's ams are considered frustrate eatin'. No, don't bring the hams, shouted Jim Croft. Fetch the tongue, that's the thing for supper of a cold night. Fetch the tongue, lad. Hold your own tongue, shouted Davy in reply, as he went off amid the laughter of his comrades. The sun sank soon after, and before the ingenious seaman had finished two new traps, the short twilight had gradually deepened into night. Still, there was plenty of light, for the sky was clear and studded with a host of stars. In addition to this, the aurora borealis was sending its beautiful flashes of pale green light all across the western sky. The aurora, which also goes by the names of northern lights and streamers and merry dancers, is seen in great splendor in these northern skies. When the seaman had finished his traps and looked up for a minute or two at the sky before starting on his return to the ship, he beheld the aurora extending over the heavens in the form of an irregular arch. It was extremely bright, but the brightness was not the same in all parts. It moved and waved gently about like a band of thin green fire. Every now and then long tongues or streamers darted up from it, and these were brighter than the rest. They were yellowish white and sometimes became pale pink in color. The light from this beautiful object was equal to that of the moon in her quarter, and the stars that were behind it shone dimly through, as if they were covered with a thin gauze veil. While Davy was gazing in wonder at the splendid lights above him, a deep growl fell upon his ear. 
If the man had been a jack-in-a-box, he could not have leaped more quickly around. His pistol was out and cocked in a moment. The growl was followed by a roar, which drove all the blood back into Davy's heart, and seemed to freeze it there, solid. The man was no coward, as was quite clear, for at first he boldly stood his ground, but he would have been more than mortal if he had not felt some strange qualms about his heart when he saw a large white bear rushing furiously toward him. The animal came this time from the interior of the small island. The seamen knew well the place over which young Gregory had jumped when he had been chased. After wavering for a moment or two, he turned and fled. Another tremendous roar helped him over the ice like a deer, and he took the chasm with a bound like an Indian rubber ball. It must certainly have been the same animal that chased Gregory, for, instead of trying to leap the chasm, it went to another part of the rent and scrambled across. This gave Butts time to increase the distance between them, but a man is no match for a polar bear in a race. The monster was soon close up with him, and the ship still far off. The man knew his danger. He turned, took a quick aim, and fired. He missed, of course, flung the pistol in desperation in the bear's face, and ran on. The pistol happened to stick in the snow, with the butt in the air, and when the bear came up to it, he stopped to smell it. It is well known nowadays that polar bears are full of curiosity, and will stop for a few minutes to examine anything that comes in their way, even when they are in full chase of a man. Davy Butts knew nothing of this at the time, but he was a quick-witted fellow. He observed this stopping of the bear, and determined to give him something more to stop at. When Bruin was close at his heels, he threw down his cap. The bear at once pulled up, smelt it all around, tossed it into the air with his snout, pawed it once or twice, then tore it to pieces with one wrench, and continued the chase. Very little time was lost in this operation. He was soon up on the man again. Then a mitten was thrown down for his inspection. After that the other mitten went, the cravat followed, and the axe went next. All that I have just related happened in a very few minutes. Davy was still a good quarter of a mile from the brig. Everything that he could tear off his person in haste and throw down was gone, and the bear was once more coming up behind. As a last hope he pulled off his heavy fur coat and dropped it. This seemed to be a subject of great interest to the bear, for it was longer in inspecting it than the other things. And now poor Butts went tearing along like a maniac in his flannel shirt and trousers. He was a miserable and curious object, for his body, besides being very long, was uncommonly lanky, and his legs and arms seemed to go like the wings of a windmill. Never since the day of his birth had Davy Butts run at such a pace, in such light clothing, and in such severe frost. A long line of low hummocks hid him from the brig. The moment he passed these, he came in sight of her and began to yell. "'What on earth is yon?' exclaimed Joe Davis, who chanced to be looking over the gangway when this remarkable object appeared. "'The wild man of the north himself, or my name ain't Jim.' said Crofts, turning pale. 
"'Why, it's Davy Butts, I do believe,' cried Sam Baker, who came on deck at that moment. Just then the bear came tearing round the end of the hummocks in full chase. "'Hurrah! Hello! Ho!' roared the man, who had crowded on deck at the first note of alarm. Sam Baker seized a heavy ash handspike about five feet long, and was on his way to meet his comrade before the others had gained the ice. They were not slow, however, some with muskets, some with pistols and cutlasses, and some with nothing but their fists. All followed Sam, who was now far ahead. Baker passed Davy without a remark, and ran straight at the bear, which stopped on seeing such a big, powerful man running so furiously at him, and flourishing a bludgeon that would almost have suited the hand of a giant. But polar bears are not timid. He rose on his hind legs at once, and paid no attention whatever to the tremendous crack that Sam dealt him over the skull. The blow broke the handspike in two, and the foolhardy seaman would have soon paid for his rashness with his life had not friendly and steady hands been near. Nothing daunted, he was about to repeat the blow with the piece of the handspike that was still in his grasp, and the bear was about to seize him with his claws, each of which were full two inches long. When the first mate and Gregory came running toward him side by side, the first armed with a rifle, the doctor with pistols. "'Too late!' gasped Gregory. "'We must fire,' said Mansell, "'and risk hitting Sam. "'Here, doctor, you are a good shot. "'Take the rifle.' The young man obeyed, dropped on one knee, and took aim, but did not fire. Sam was between him and the bear. A sudden movement changed their positions. The side of the monster came into view, and in another instant it was stretched on the ice with a bullet in his brain. End of chapter 6